Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Leading Better and Growing Faster with Joe and TJ. I'm Joe. And I'm TJ. And we are The Schoolhouse 302. Where you can find blog posts, podcasts with expert guests, curated book recommendations, and our genius thoughts. Always on a topic that is proven to help you lead better and grow faster. If you want to support the show, all you have to do is hit us with a like, a share, a follow, or a comment. On our site or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you access our material. Again, thanks for listening and for leading better and growing faster with us. Here we go with another great episode. Hello, everyone. Here we are with our guest and friend, Mitch Weathers. Thank you for being on the show, Mitch. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to chat with you today. Absolutely. So this is a special episode, and we're focused on the incredibly important topic of executive functions. And in this episode, we're going to really hit on some different facets of that, and then also dig into some really great offerings Mitch has. And so we're going to dig into that and looking forward to it. TJ, tell us a little bit more about Mitch. Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Mitch became a gifted teacher because he was a mediocre student. I find that hard to believe, Mitch, but it's the first line of your bio. He rarely (laughs) felt comfortable in the classroom. In fact, it took him seven years to graduate from college. Choosing to become a teacher, Mitch was fortunate enough to experience school as if it was happening all around him. He was unsure how to jump into his learning with confidence. There's a loneliness to experiencing your education as a passive object as opposed to an active subject like we would like for all students. From the moment he entered the classroom, Mitch relied on his personal experiences as a learner. He recognized that what we teach, the content or curriculum, is secondary. We must first lay the foundation for learning before we can get to the teaching. In fact, unless students develop a solid foundation for learning, it does not matter how great your teachers deliver content, or how emergent the technology is in the classroom, or even how engaging the lesson might be. And that's why Mitch designed Organized Binder to empower teachers with a simple but research-backed strategy to teach students that executive functioning skills is what we're talking about today, executive functioning skills, while protecting the time needed for content instruction. The secret is found in establishing a predictable learning routine that serves to foster safer learning spaces in schools. When students get practice with executive functioning, by virtue, we set them up for success. So today, we're talking about establishing predictable learning routines, executive functioning skills, and we want to dive right in, Mitch. Let's start off for any of our listeners who are saying, wait a second, I'm a teacher, I'm a school personnel, maybe I'm a paraprofessional, I'm a principal, school leaders are listening today. Talk about executive functioning. What is that? And why is it so important for teachers and students? Yeah, well, I'm glad we're having a conversation because I think executive functioning as a phrase or as a thing historically if anywhere, lived in the the world of special education, you know, with other terminologies or phrases that it almost can cross like a different language. And one silver lining, I think, hopefully many will discover in the coming years, but coming out of the pandemic is an emergent 
kind of an urgency to develop the skills and habits in students that may have been missed during the two years of what I like to refer to as interrupted learning. So executive functioning skills, you know, as a beginning place, it's really an umbrella term. And there's different, if you will, kind of like verticals under that umbrella. The work that I'm very passionate about is what are the executive functioning skills that directly have an impact on students' learning and achievement? And with an eye on closing those gaps that the pandemic seemed to widen. And specifically, without getting fancy, I love the term that one school we work with coined called studentness. And even before I had the language for it and, and even to apply to it, I would describe this as all the things that students have to do to be successful, whatever they're learning. And for whatever reason, nobody's talking about it. And they didn't mention it to me in my teacher credentialing program. And I have a master's degree in cross-cultural pedagogy. And why didn't anybody talk about this stuff? And what's interesting when students get practiced with or start to hone these executive functioning skills or transversal competencies or non-cognitive factors, whatever 21st century skills, there's different names for it. We've seen, and I can just say from personal experience in the classroom, like a bump in grades or test scores, but a sense of agency, kind of dexterity that students begin to develop, which I find to be far more important than the grade bump. But that also when schools engage in this work collectively, you do start to see a pretty intense jump. And the conversation is not about content. It's about developing learners. So, Mitch, we certainly don't want to admire the problem, but I'd agree wholeheartedly with you that we often don't teach this. Would you mind going down that lane a little bit? Like, why? Why do we in education often just make our work more challenging or difficult and not set time aside to teach students how to be successful, to learn more about themselves, you know, learn in the classroom effectively? Why do you think that is? Joe, that's a great question that I don't have the answer to. I'll just be honest, but I can tell you, you hit on a few things there in your question to me that I think are illuminating, you know. I've never, in light of that, I can quote research and writing that, you know, skills formally learned by students on their own, not only have we just kind of left it up to chance, like hopefully through my lived experience, I picked some of these up. Although there is the research saying these things move the needle for learners, but we're just going to hope you pick them up. But those skills formerly learned by students on their own, now it's on the onus of the teacher to teach those. And the problem is, and I think you touched on this, well, one and the first and most urgent is time. You know, there's not a teacher in the country or possibly on the planet that has an abundance of time in terms of getting through that which they're tasked with teaching in a school year, right? And then you complicate that by the tests that measure student performance in schools and districts are commonly given before the end of the school year. So you're cut short there as well. So there's this time crunch. But then the way I describe it is zone of genius, right? Like my zone of genius might be teaching fourth grade. Like that's what I do. And I do that well, right? Or I might be a ninth grade ELA teacher or for Joe, yeah, I might be a CTE teacher. I teach construction or whatever it might be. And that's really my zone of genius, which is important. So even though I would want my students to practice goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, organizational strategy, you know, we could go on and on. Of course I want that, but I don't really know how to teach those. So I have this time crunch and it's not really right in my wheelhouse. And as a caveat, I've never met a teacher or a parent that doesn't want their kids to develop these skills, right? And yet, to your point, they go largely just unchecked. And we hope we pick it up just as we're going through life. 
But the interesting thing, what I think is really fascinating about this work, first, the good news is with routine practice, students can learn them and hone them and make them stronger for themselves. But what I find really interesting is they're not actually taught. This is my own belief now. So this is my own research thesis here through 15 years plus of doing this work that executive functions, they're not actually taught in the traditional sense, but they're best learned when students see them modeled daily. And I get routine practice employing them in a no stakes way. Meaning if I screw it up, it doesn't hurt my course performance or my grade or whatnot. So I just need to see them modeled and I get practice using them. And what we've seen that repetition by virtue of routine. So TJ, that's that whole, you mentioned from the bio, the establishing a predictable learning routine. There's a lot of reasons for that, but one of those by virtue of engaging in this routine, daily routine, if I just get practice with these by virtue of how we do school or do class, it's that repetition that allows this conscious skill to move into my subconscious, which means now it's mine. I got it. I'm not burning, you know, mental calories. There's no cognitive load trying to employ this skill anymore because it's now mine. And that's where the agency comes in and learning. The whole time you're talking about it, Mitch, I can't help but think that, number one, it reminds me of assessment practices in terms of we don't do a good enough job equipping our teachers with a real understanding about grading and assessment and feedback and what the current research says about that. So that's on my mind while you're talking about these skills. But in that same conversation, and we just had somebody on the podcast just recently, Paul Bloomberg, and we talked about why it's not more prevalent in the conversation about equity when we're talking about grading and assessment I'm wondering the same thing for executive functioning because it elevates all students' ability to access the learning in spaces where not all students might have that. So there's an equity part. Maybe it's not a question, but I want you to comment on. But I want to tack it together with this other thing that you mentioned, which teachers aren't learning this. It's not in their zone of genius. They're not coming out of bachelor's degree programs with a keen understanding of executive functioning. So if you could help me unpack that a little bit more, like why aren't people including this in the equity conversation in schools? And why aren't teachers equipped with these skills, like you said, when they're coming out of their teacher prep programs? Great point. And shout out real quick to the Evanston Skokie School District 65 in Illinois, because just yesterday I was invited to speak on this topic at their diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging symposium district-wide true honor and it was great but that was the point when we talk about equity and we look at achievement and equity gaps that had clearly been you know existing gaps have been widened as i mentioned by the pandemic so when we look at equity in my mind and there's a lot of ways and lenses through which we can approach that work but it's around that inclusivity a practice that's for everybody in the room and so as i'm developing my sense of agency as a learner because i'm starting to hone these skills to me that's really getting at that equity piece tj why we're not teaching it in credential programs is similar to joe's question of why aren't we just talking about it all the time from the beginning but i can say as someone who's had the privilege of being both an adjunct professor in credentialing programs or, you know, a guest speaker or a keynote or something. It is almost without fail after I give a talk on this topic to teachers, they come up and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the most important thing I've learned in my whole program. 
the same question, like, why haven't we been talking about this? And on the, I guess, kind of comical side, what most of us report back is I didn't really learn how I learned my undergrad or most of us graduate school, where that really started to kind of make sense to me as a learner. And here I am, you know, professional educator. So I don't know. I don't know why it's not teaching 101. Because the other side of this that we're talking in the lenses that we're talking about right now is students developing these skills, which by the way, and I think we all know this, they're not just academic or classroom or school-based skills and habits, right? These are the things that we use every day in work and life and et cetera. But this idea of getting at it through a predictable routine, then you turn the lens to instruction and teacher best practices. And where are the areas where classroom management issues breed? And so if we can really start to help and empower teachers in that sense. And if I was talking to administrators behind a closed door at a district or a school, so I'll pretend that way because you're both administrators. The truth of it is this is executive functioning for teachers. And it's sad, but also true when a teacher struggles with executive dysfunction or they're just organizationally challenged it exacerbates the issue for students who are having the same issues. And it's oftentimes it's we're looking at the student like, well, what's wrong? What's going on? So well, let's step back a little bit and talk about time management and, you know, classroom management and what are your routines. And I'm a huge, absolute believer in predictable learning spaces. So that means I develop a very explicit but consistent learning routine. I like to borrow the term from the Waldorf community, the routine and rhythm of the day, that it's so consistent, that's back to that repetition, that I just know what to do to engage with the learning community when I show up. No cognitive load taxed, no mental calories burned. I just know this now. And let's not forget for many students outside of their lives outside of school are anything but predictable and may even skew towards chaotic. So they might be chaos navigators, as a friend of mine calls them. And so we cannot underestimate the impact of just being in a predictable space for a period of time every day. And I believe for those students, some of them are almost living in a low level or even a heightened level of fight or flight throughout the day. And then I come into this class and it's like, I know what to do. I feel successful, right? And I can engage in this routine because it's so predictable. I know what to do before I even get to class, which is not something I experienced as a learner. And the byproduct of that is that students are more likely to take risks that are inherent to learning when they find themselves in safer learning environments. And that predictability creates safety. Didn't answer you entirely, TJ, but. No, all good points all around. I think, Mitch, Steering this toward the direction of solutions, though, right? This is what students don't get enough of. Like you said, very often found in a special ed space. We need teachers to know how to teach it. And I think that's the really why we were excited to have you on because you're going to launch into this. You're going to start developing, you know, work that teaches teachers how to do this, others how to do this. Would you mind talking to us about that? Like, how do you go about teaching those who then have the ability to get in front of students and teach executive functioning skills to students and what that impact can have? Because, you know, as we're talking here, if anybody listening right now is unsure of what's being said, if you've ever wondered why you have the inability to transfer anything 
from one space to another. If it's a little bit of a hang up on a test, if it's a skill you learned and you can't adapt to a new situation with that skill, in my world, that is lack of executive functioning skills, period. And so when kids see things in only one dimension without the tools on how to use that knowledge, that's where we go wrong. Mm. So going back to the question, Mitch, you know, how do you go about, you know, working with teachers, teaching them how to do this, and then they can transfer this to students in the classroom? Well said and great questions, Joe. What order do I want to go in here? So, I mean, that's the beauty of, in my opinion, the program I designed called Organized Binder. But and anyone can learn about that at organizedminder.com or contact me. The work that I think you're mentioning is something that kind of gripped me close to a year ago where we get contacted routinely by parents, individual teachers, even schools that are like, hey, we're really interested in this work. And certainly the individual teacher, you know, we don't have access at this point to your materials for your program. What does that look like for me? And so I became very passionate about saying, okay, how can we empower those teachers to teach executive functions, do the work of organized binder and teaching these skills, but without the materials? And I'll get to that in a moment, what's going on there. But in terms of the solution, like real impact, I do want to mention this because a school-wide approach is, can be profound. And in the sense that predictable learning routines can really make, you know, that whole idea of safe learning environments and setting students up for success, shared learning routines go further, big step further in reducing cognitive load. I used to call it the EL labyrinth because most of my teaching career out here in California, I've worked with second or multi-language learners. And if you've ever had the privilege of working with that student population and you teach them and some of them in the morning and you have other cohorts in the afternoon, there's a certain fatigue that students carry our language learners. I used to make fun of it to myself and be like, oh, it's because they're learning so much. You know, they're just like, their brains are tired. And it's like, no, they're spending that cognitive energy just navigating the school day. And this is true and more so in upper elementary, middle and high school, where my presentation was yesterday in Evanston. They have 10 class periods a day. It's a middle school, one of those being lunch. Well, that's a lot of transitions for somebody who's the whole time is trying to translate what I'm hearing, translate what I'm reading, keep up with the learning community. And if I go, even if it's just five class periods a day and they all have different expectations, different routines. Of course, it's different content, different culture in, in that, which is really important. But a shared routine can really have an impact on students where they're just now, it's like I show up, I know what to do to engage with the learning community. And that happens from class to class to class. And there's a great story. Former student was not mine, but was at a school that went to the high school where I was teaching when I designed Organized Binder. And she transferred halfway through her sophomore year. Life was in a pretty traumatic spot. Parents got divorced. Mom kicks her out of the house. She has to move in with her grandmother. Grandmother's in the district south of her. So she has to leave the school she had been at for a year and a half. Comes in middle of the year, doesn't know anybody. And she told me, she reached out. She's now a teacher in LA Unified and is bringing Organized Binder to her school. Because she said, I can't tell you what it felt like to have my whole life, what I thought of as falling apart. And I'd go from class to class to class, and I just knew what to do. Like, I had this sense of, like, I got this. And she's like, my students need that. 
and she wants to bring it. And that's that power of shared routine. And we know common language, we can kind of take a deep dive there. So that's part of the solution, but also context matters, you know, and this is why I believe, and I don't want to pretend to be an SEL expert, but when we take something like executive functioning and you create a curriculum or a course around it, and then kids get to take this course and supposedly they're going to learn these executive functions. They tend to fall flat from my experience. And one reason is it might be sent, you know, put in an advisory or homeroom type of support setting that every kid goes to. And it's like, hey, we're going to use this curriculum in these classes. So students might already be, you know, their perception might be, well, this isn't a real class. This is my like homeroom or advisory. But more importantly, let's just consider goal setting. Sure, I can have a curriculum that has lessons or a unit on how you set goals, the importance of goal setting, what it can do for your life in the short term and the long run. That's kind of boring. Let's just be honest. Like what's fun is to set goals within the context of what I'm trying to learn. So if we go back to that middle schooler, my goals for myself as a learner in math might be very different than my goals as a learner in my English language arts class or my electives class or my science, whatever it might be. And that context matters. So instead of me trying to convince you and teach you about how to set goals or the importance of goal setting, how about we just set goals with an actionable daily task and then we measure it over this next set amount of time, which I would say is like six to eight weeks max. And we're constantly evaluating, hey, is it working? Are you committed to it? Right? So there's some accountability piece there. And then at the end of that time saying, well, let's look back. There evidence of this working. So it's by process, kind of like almost parallel process because it's being modeled. Students get practice with these skills. So that's another part of the solution is let's embed it into the content area class. And then you come back to what we said before, Joe, is like, okay, well, how do I do that? Zone of genius and time. Don't worry about it. If you implement this predictable routine, here's the cool thing. It actually, once you have that consistent routine in place, what teachers report back is they finally have more instructional time, right? Which is pretty interesting. But by virtue of this routine, students get practice with these skills, then they start to hone them within the context of what I'm learning. So in terms of solution, that would be my response. And in terms of work that we're providing, we are, this will be the second round of it on the 25th of this month, January, we are hosting a five-part completely free webinar series on learning how to teach executive functions. And I get the, I don't know if you call it a dichotomy or the, what you don't actually teach them, but that's the name of the session. And what I would hope school leaders and teachers alike, and we're going to, I hope they show up. Part of this is going to be establishing and making clear teaching this learning routine which is very simple if anybody's listening out there. But each session is going to be a different how to teach a specific executive functioning skill. So it's not going to be like a fire hose. It's going to be once a week, five weeks, little bits in the end they can put all together through the routine. So I hope that answers your question, Joe. Yeah, I think you did a terrific job with that, Mitch. And I wonder if you'll just double click for us. You're doing this five-part webinar. I want to talk a little bit about what people are going to take away from it. So you're going to teach teachers, in essence, how to do some of these things. Could you do a little yeah. bit of that for us today? So five-part series, we'll link to it in the show notes. We're super excited to get people out to it to talk about this important thing. But you talked about goal setting. 
and you brought that into embedding that in the content areas. And you said mm -hmm. we were going to goal set with kids to help <laughs> them to transfer that, take some ownership. Give us a little bit more of the how. So one, sure. somebody could come away from this podcast and say, well, I can do that. And two, right. so that people know more about what they're going to get from your webinar if they join that. And then I'm just going to say this. I wrote this down. Any cognitive energy spent on managing the school day is energy that can't be spent on learning. Boy, oh right. boy, is that something that people should take away. But let's double click on the goals. Teach us something and show us what you're going to do in these webinar series. Yeah. And I appreciate that, that someone could go away from this. And by the way, you had mentioned teach teachers. School leaders are more than welcome and have been actually, this will be the second time I've tried this and changing it up quite a bit. And the biggest one is we're just going to kind of do a sprint in five weeks, each Wednesday for five weeks. So try to make it more digestible where before we did it over six months. <laughs> and the funny thing is it ended up being, I thought it would be for teachers. And the majority of people were district and school leaders who were coming and then introducing some of the ideas to their staff. So I'll do my best to give you a little snapshot please know that the three kind of tenets of teaching executive functions, recognizing that they're not taught, is clarity or being explicit, routine, establishing a predictable learning routine, and modeling it, okay? Obviously, my work is called Organized Binder, and so a big part of that modeling, nonverbal visual cueing is done through a very simple three-ring binder what's color-coded. And, and so I'm going to do my best to give a takeaway, but please know in these webinar series, the reason it's a webinar with Zoom is I'm going to be modeling it for people. So it's not just going to be something they're listening to. They're going to see this. They're going to see classroom footage of these strategies in practice. But let's pivot from goal setting. We can keep going there. And students will, if we looked at a traditional school year, they're going to set goals. The encouragement during this webinar series will be that they would set goals every quarter or every term, which is about every seven to nine weeks, maybe, throughout the school year. Another huge part of this is family engagement. And we don't need a research study to tell us that students with more engaged families are more successful. A really, I think, cool nuance that I will talk about in the webinar series is that executive functioning skills provide us with an opportunity to engage families in a way that's not tied to content. And on the organized binder side, which is not what these workshops or webinars are necessarily about, on the organized binder side, we work with districts that report that about fourth or fifth grade, they can't necessarily rely on content support or homework support at home in particular in math and English, but by no means does that indicate that those families don't want to be engaged in their students' journey, their education. And again, back to what I said at the beginning, what parent doesn't want their kid to develop organizational skills and set goals and learn how to maintain a calendar and all the stuff we have to do, right? So we can engage families in a way that is really powerful and to be honest, they really love. But if we could pivot from goal setting to one of the executive functioning skills that we will discuss in great detail in the first session is called working memory. And of the six skills, it's probably the one that's a little bit elusive and as a name. And it's loosely described as the ability to retrieve something I've learned or experienced and hold it in cognitive space kind of long enough to do something with it. Okay. And the beginning and ending routine that I'm going to teach in this webinar series, first of all, makes bell-to-bell -bell instruction a reality. 
And I know from many observations now, and I think most of us would agree, the most underutilized class time or school time is the first few moments and the last few moments. And if we can exploit those moments for the learning process, what a win. And by the way, I call those undefined moments in lesson plans and our lesson plans gray areas. And the gray areas is where we lose kids in our lesson. They get lost. Some kids, no problem. Some students can ride through those times, but many don't. And so for the sake of clarity, first point in teaching executive functioning skills, a saying that I like to use is we need to paint the gray areas black and white. And that's with this routine. So our starting and ending routine, TJ, is all about reflection. And what I'm going to teach is that let's begin each school day or class period with a simple revisit and reteach to previously learned standards or objectives, things that we've experienced, right? The whole idea of one and done. I lectured on that, the old college style, like that doesn't work. We know that. Marzano's work, exposures. The more we expose students, the more exposure, the interaction students get with what they're learning, guess what? The more likely they are to learn it. So if by virtue of routine, right, I don't have the time to give the same lesson or a nuance of that lesson multiple days, but what if when we show up, the first thing we do is we go back to that thing that we experienced or learned. Now, research is also clear when a teacher is explicit about the point or the objective, or the goal, or the standard of each and every lesson, the more likely students are to get it. So one of the challenges that's baked into this routine for teachers is, hey, we show up on Monday, what was the point on Friday, or the last time you saw students, depending on your bell schedule? Because if you're not clear on that, they probably are not clear on that. So you can't just show up and shoot from the hip. So you're each time you start the day, you're going to distill that objective or standard or goal down into a prompt of some sort, not a quiz. It's okay to get it wrong, but it's just a revisit. And it gives me that one moment just to be crystal clear on here's the thing or those things we're working on before we move on. And that could be anything. That could be math and concept. That could be things out of a CTE class that, hey, we're learning how to use a circular saw. And there's this step and this step and this step. So I'm just coming back to what we're learning. And for students, that beginning routine becomes a safety net. In this class, I know if I was confused on Friday or the homework or the, what we did over the weekend, I just didn't get, or maybe I missed school on Friday. I was sick or whatever. This teacher always starts and reviews it with me, lets me get my questions answered or whatnot before we move on. That process requires working memory. I have to go back and interact with what I learned on Friday as we have this conversation and dialogue on Monday. And then at the end of class, so just looking at the part of the routine, the beginning and ending routine, which is all about working memory, as I said, I'm going to encourage teachers to begin each day or class period with a reflection and revisit from previously learned topics or concepts or standards. At the end of the lesson or the school day, it's a similar reflection, but it's what we've learned or experienced today. So they just have a few moments before we move on or before we depart to kind of gather my thoughts and have a written conversation, even if it's just one sentence a day between my instructor or my teacher and me. And that process encourages teachers to begin with the end in mind. So if I have you for 40 minutes today or a hundred minutes or half the school day or whatever it is, 
what is it that I'm hoping you can demonstrate or articulate or make connections to at the end of that time, right? Beginning with the end in mind. Now, I might not get there. The lesson might not go as I thought, or I might overshoot it, but it's at least I'm aiming for something. And that process, okay, I'm sitting there. How did it go today? That's working memory. Coolest thing I think about working memory, fascinating. It's tied to attentional skills. So students we know with stronger working memories, I don't want to say easier, but have the ability to pay attention more so than students with weaker working memories. Okay. So the good news about utilizing your working memory every day by virtue of routine, it's not like I go over to Joe and I'm like, think, use your working memory. It doesn't work that way, right? It's just got to be part of the process. But just every day by how we start and how we end, and it's okay. The thing I really want listeners to hear is the three of us have not talked about grades. We've not talked about being right or wrong. We're talking about cognitive processes. We're talking about learning and where retention of holding on to what I'm learning comes from. It's not about getting it right every time, right? So I start with this reteach, this reflection. I'm ending with kind of a concluding reflection. Well, guess what? You show up to class on Tuesday after that Monday reflection. Guess what's the first thing we talk about as soon as we begin? Most likely something that was kind of part of that reflection the previous day. And so it just becomes this kind of cyclical cycle. I guess that's redundant for students by virtue of our daily learning routine. Now do this with me. So Marzano suggests, this is one of his quotes, expose students to details multiple times. Ideally, I think he says two times, something like that, no more than two or three days apart. Well, with the routine that I'm going to teach in this webinar series, and we're kind of going over here, the beginning and ending parts of it, you show up to class, I give my lesson. That's your first exposure. Let's pretend it's a new concept. At the end of class, I want you to kind of distill thoughts here. You know, what was confusing about that? Or what did I learn? What struck me? Whatever. That reflection would be the second exposure. If I give any next steps or homework outside of class, a point I will make very strongly in this webinar series is that homework used as a formative assessment is not only inequitable, but it's unreliable. So you can give homework, but don't expect it to guide your instruction in an authentic way. But I still think that exposure, so my lesson first exposure, closing routine or ending routine, second exposure, interacting with what I'm learning. I could do some practice maybe outside of school or interaction. And when you come back to me 24 hours later, the first thing we do, the moment we begin, is we come back to that concept in some fashion. And the word I like to use is marinate. We just keep coming back to what we're learning just by virtue of how the routine, the rhythm of the day, the rhythm of the week. And by virtue of that, students are more likely to get the things they're learning. So I hope that provides some value. That's the two bookends for the beginning and ending routine. But I want to show that to people. I want to model it for them so they can see it. I think that's very powerful, Mitch. And I think it provides everyone a good idea of what they could expect. I think the modeling is key. As we wrap up, one final question. We had talked a little bit about like, why isn't this done? And you landed on time. You know, for people to sign up for this, you know, it's a noisy, noisy world. There's a lot out. You're offering a great service, you know, and we hope that people really do this because it's so critical, especially in the environment now where we just expect more out of, you know, workers. In my CTE world, we hear this all the time about thinking and doing, you know, why should somebody take this? Like their time is valuable, you know. Why should they, if, if you're going to tell them, listen, it's five weeks, it is an investment in your time, it'll be well worth it. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's well said and all true. 
I would say this work is for, and if there is a time investment, I should say what the aim will be like 45 minute sessions. So there's some time there, but not an abundance. This is for the leaders and educators, teachers out there that really want to meaningfully address. I'm just going to talk about the immediate right now, whether you call it learning loss, which I don't love that term, but those gaps that we know have occurred resulting from the pandemic. And I think this work was just as important before that, but if we're really interested in addressing those gaps and narrowing them, my belief is it's not through more content, it's not through accelerating, it's through developing learners and that sense of agency and what I like to say is dexterity in their learning. For teachers and leaders alike who are really interested in that, because I know there's a lot of solutions to this issue being thrown around right now. This is a practical, hands-on, tangible way to make a difference in students' lives. So I would say that's why. And I'm absolutely just committed to, if I'm teaching, then I want it to be relevant to educators' practices. And every time they show up, there's a takeaway. So I can promise that that will be part of it. But that would be the reason, Joe. I can promise it will be time well spent. This won't be wasted. And I can also promise, and maybe going out on a limb here, it's going to be very different than any other experience in terms of PD around this kind of work that people have had. So maybe that's a little hook. Come on and check it out. Come to the first one. Check it out. See what you think. Yeah, and we can't wait to link it in the show notes. And we have a lot of leaders who are listening here, school leaders. And I would just encourage school leaders to attend and encourage them to bring their teachers along. I know we talk a lot about time, but I really think what you said about moments in the classroom is a way to hook people into understanding that they could actually save time, save learning time, save students time, save their own time if we were doing things like this in a routine that was predictable. And I hope that school leaders can transfer that to their faculty meetings, their teacher day, mm -hmm. and everything else that is the underpinnings of how we do school. Mitch, I've taken a ton of notes we're going to link to the things that you mentioned, including Marzano's work, your website, this webinar that we're talking about, and anything we can get our hands off on for executive functioning skills. Is there anything else that you would like to add for today's listeners as we wrap up? You know, one thing just came to mind when both of you were in your last comments and recognizing, I think, majority of your audience are leaders, school and district and network leaders. Part of this routine and looking through the teacher lens, well, I can just say it this way, a big part of our work is helping teachers teach better. So if you are a leader and you're listening and you have some teachers who are struggling, and that usually means classroom management these days, it tends to come down to that. But even just instruction-wise, but certainly if they're struggling with the use of time well or struggling with management, this would be a great workshop for for both the leader to attend and get some ideas and or the teachers like in joe's world with cte i love cte and i think it is and should be the future of education one of the hard things oftentimes with cte schools at least that we work with joe maybe this is not in your district cte teachers from my experience are very much like college professors and that they're content experts they know in a real way, right? Like I'm a second career person, typically. I know what you need to know, right? 
I may not know how to teach. I don't have that experience, which isn't to blame anybody. It's just a different path into the classroom. This routine can be a godsend for folks like that, that are just trying to figure out their teaching chops, if you will. So those are a few comments that popped into my mind when I was listening to the two of you talk. A hundred percent. This has been fun as always, Mitch. All of our conversations are. This has been a blast. And there you have it, folks. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog, theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, video blogs, always on the topic of leading better and growing faster. And we hope that you enjoyed hanging out with us, Joe and TJ, and our special guest, Mitch Weathers. Thanks, Mitch, for being on the show. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Appreciate it. Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.